Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, When Pastor Nick was talking about his dad uh, last week, uh, it triggered a memory of my own father, who was also uh, a leader in our church and uh, worshipped every single Sunday all his whole life long, and also had a pretty quick sense of humor. And uh, the memory is of me in my eighth grade confirmation class when we had this assignment where you had to go to an adult and uh, interview them about their worship habits and, and their preferences. And so I went to my dad with uh, my little pencil and my form and I asked him the question, what is your favorite part of the service? With an immediate smile beginning to come up on his face, he looked at me and he said, the benediction, <laughs> you know. uh, which in retrospect I know was intended to uh, eventually get back to our pastor so that it would also put a smile on his face, which it actually did. Well, uh, with that we come to part two of our fall series entitled Hope Happens Here. Having talked uh, last week about how hope happens as we immerse ourselves in the words and promises of God, which aren't going to tell you everything you want to know but they'll tell you everything you need to know about what it means to live a joyful and fulfilled and everlasting life. In the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about how hope happens in our compassion, in our service to one another and to the world that we live in, how hope happens in our relationships with each other and the life of the church, and and how it happens in a number of other ways and how you get the chance to be part of all of that in one way or another. But what I'm here to talk about today is the thing that sits at the heart and the middle and the core of all of it. And it's really the center of our whole life and everything else that we do as a congregation from which everything else emerges and grows. And that is our worship life together. And how hope happens here through faithful worship and what that really is, what's going on here and uh, what it means and what it gives and what it takes and why we even do it. With respect to what worship is, well, the dictionary defines worship very simply as an, an expression of reverence or adoration of God. And with respect to why we do it, well, the word worship itself comes from the old English word worthship. We do it because God is worth it. He's worth our adoration and our reverence and our praise because God's our creator. God is our savior. God is our comforter. God is the one who gave you every single breath you're ever going to take, every beat of your heart, and everything that you're ever going to need in your whole life to live a fulfilling, purposeful life in this world and so much more. And why on earth wouldn't we want to worship and adore and and express our reverence for a God who gives us all of those things and a whole lot more. Worship, then, is an expression of my gratitude to God. It's a measurement of my gratitude. It's a response uh, to God's grace and a measurement of my, my need for God and my faith in God so that what I do on Sunday or on Monday, as the case may be, really does set the tone and provide the context for my life on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and all the days of my life. Uh, There's another word uh, that we use when we uh, talk about worship together, and that is the word 
liturgy. And the word liturgy is a Greek word uh, that literally means the work of the people. And so uh, the liturgy is the public work. It is, it is what we actually do when we express our reverence and, and adoration for God, whether it's uh, in the songs that uh, we sing or the scriptures that we read or the prayers that we pray together. And it also has to do with the, the work that we do to prepare for our worship, which involves a, a quite a long list of things, as you may know, from rehearsing the choirs week after week to ordering the flowers to bringing the right amounts of bread and wine to the table for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. It involves scheduling our lesson readers, our acolytes, our communion assistants, our ushers, our greeters at the door, our AV techs. It involves uh, running the vacuum in the sanctuary, plowing the snow when the weather is bad, uh, preparing sermons, planning the services themselves, and, uh, and a whole lot more, including volunteers in the office, which is to say, uh, that explains why we also refer to our gatherings in worship as services, because there's a lot of serving going on. And because liturgy is the work of the people, whether that involves uh, traditions and rituals that may be hundreds or maybe even thousands of years old, uh, for which I taught a course recently on symbols and rituals at Common Ground, or it may be uh, involving a liturgy that is less formal and a variety of musical styles that still involve a lot of work and still lift up our adoration and our praise uh, to God. If you were here last Sunday, uh, you remember uh, hearing about a little boy uh, who was asked uh, what these funny-looking clerical collars were all about and what they did, and he responded by saying, they kill fleas and ticks up to 30 days. Which, quite frankly, I think is true because I have never had fleas or ticks. <laughs> you know, but originally uh, it was a symbol of the collar or the harness that was put around an animal in order to put it to work, to press it into service, to plow the field. So that when we put the collar on, it's a reminder of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 when he said, take my yoke upon you and you go work the mission field of God. And so this is worship. And this is worship. And this is worship. And this is worship. Because even the Lutheran confessions from all the way back in 1530 said it is not necessary for the unity of the church to practice uniformity in its ceremonies in all places. In fact, the word liturgy is almost always uh, an exclusive church word in our culture and life today. But back in ancient times, liturgy was also a secular word. It was the work of the people. It, it was public works where people got together and they did things like building bridges to connect people with each other so that our worship, our liturgies, are ways that we connect with each other and also with God on that bridge that Jesus has built with his cross for you and me. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, you know, but isn't it also true that I don't really need to come to a church building in order to worship God? I mean, I can worship God in all kinds of places and in a variety of different ways to which I would say to you, that is absolutely true. 
And I would strongly encourage you to do that. But what I can't get is faithfulness to Hebrews chapter 10, which tells us not to give up the habit of meeting together. And I can't do Colossians 3, which calls us to sing together and admonish each other and encourage each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I can't do Acts chapter 2, uh, where God's people were so filled up with the Spirit of Jesus, they, they couldn't help get, but get together and fellowship with each other and break bread together and pray together and praise God together and, and feel this amazing sense of awe in the process as God used his gathered people to attract more people to their eternal connection with Jesus. And God was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so, you know, can I worship God and, and enjoy his creation by taking a walk in the woods on a beautiful Sunday afternoon and hear the birds singing in the trees? Absolutely. I just can't get John 3.16 out of a tree. I can't get my absolution from a bird. And that's because worship isn't just about me and God. Worship is also about you and me and God together. And because worship isn't just a one-way street. Worship is a time when God also speaks to us. He comes to us. Because in the letter of James, it says, you draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And so God comes to us with his words and promises, with his sacramental presence, which are all products of the real work that he has done for you and me at his cross so that we can come together, we can sing together, we can pray together, we can confess together, and we can commune together, and we can welcome all people into a community where the Lord adds to uh, the number day by day those who are being saved. And thanks to the gift of technology, uh, not only that, but we also here at St. Andrew live stream our services to people who cannot physically be with us here in person, who may be dozens or hundreds or in some cases even literally thousands of miles away, for which I am very, very thankful, and about a year ago at this time included me as I was stuck at home waiting for surgery. But it's also true, as I wrote in my recent newsletter, that people in love really don't like long-distance relationships. You know, people in love, you know, they, they really want to be together, if at all possible. And when it comes uh, to giving up the habit of uh, meeting together, you know, it's kind of like when you, you know, signed up for membership at the gym, you know, and you paid the money, and then you didn't go. It's not because you decided that all of a sudden you were opposed to exercise, or you were against health. Just got out of the habit. And what I can tell you is that thousands upon thousands of churches all over this world, thanks to a global pandemic, are experiencing the challenge of changing worship habits among their faith communities, which leads me to give thanks to God that St. Andrew continues to be coming back and coming back uh, so beautifully as we worship together and as we serve those who cannot be with us here physically. And so in today's uh, passage from the Gospel of John, uh, we eavesdrop on one little portion of a much longer conversation that Jesus has with this Samaritan woman at a well somewhere in her native territory. 
And the topic turns to the subject of worship. And it's a little bit awkward. Uh, first, because uh, while we don't know her whole backstory, we are told earlier in the chapter that this woman had five husbands. And the guy she was living with was not her husband. And so, you know, something's going on in her life. And also because the religion of Samaritans was just this mishmash of a whole lot of things. I mean, they believed in some parts of the Old Testament, but not others. Uh, they worshipped God, but they also worshipped idols. In fact, they built a temple on the top of a mountain called Mount Gerizim, which was not far from this well where Jesus was having this conversation with this woman, although the temple had been uh, destroyed before Jesus was even born. And it's in that context that uh, just before today's passage, this woman uh, says to Jesus, you know, our fathers worshiped on that mountain, that is Mount Gerizim. And now the Jews are telling us we got to worship in Jerusalem because that's where the temple is, although that too was ultimately destroyed. But Jesus says something to her that is very important, and it's still important for us today. He tells her that what matters most is not the location of the temple. What matters most is not the form of the liturgy or whether there's stained glass in the room. What matters most is that the object of my worship is the God of grace who sends his son to be our Messiah so that we might worship him in spirit, that is the spirit of Jesus, and in truth, that is the truth of his grace. And Jesus tells this woman of a foreign land, a confused religion, and a very complicated life, that she has a place in the worship of God, that he is her Messiah, and that she is also welcome and free to worship him in spirit, that is his spirit, and in the truth of his grace, which he describes as living water. And when she does that, her life will forever change. And so today I invite you to think about moments of worship in your life when it changed for you. Like the baptism of your child, or maybe your baptism, or your confirmation, or your communion. Or that day when you exchange marriage vows or you are received into a community of faith. Uh, tomorrow, the whole world will look upon a history-making worship service at Westminster Abbey in London. But I would also encourage you to think of the funerals of people in your life who you loved, who are also members of the royal family of God because of their baptism in Christ. And how that worshiped gave you comfort and hope and helped you to turn the page and open up a new chapter in your life. I invite you to think of a time when maybe you came to worship here at St. Andrew and you heard that your sins were forgiven in a completely different way because you heard it in the context of the mess you made of your life or the life of somebody else. Last Sunday, as you might recall, was September 11th. And I was thinking last Sunday about what it was like to worship together in the days following 9-11 and how important that was for us. I think a lot uh, about you when you're coming forward to receive the Lord's Supper 
because I do know some of your backstories, and yet, yet here you are to worship God, to express your gratitude and your reverence and your adoration for him, and to count on him to show up and be of service to you with his forgiveness and his grace and his comfort and his hope, and to invite others and welcome others and embrace others into this great, big, worshiping, beautiful family of God, no matter who they are, no matter where they've come from, no matter what their backstory may happen to be. And so, this is worship. And 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 this is worship when the family of God comes together to join in the church's song, to sing the praises of God, to receive his gifts of grace because he is worth it. I love to worship in this house and with this household. And you know, I never did get a straight answer from my dad, but I have been blessed to see those parents and so many others across my whole life long, singing together, praying together, confessing together, communing together, and reminding me that worship really isn't an option for a follower of Jesus Christ. It is like breathing because in it, we receive the gifts of God and we declare our adoration and our love for the first one who first loved us and comes to us in the spirit of Jesus with his grace and truth for all your life. And so I give thanks for our weekly family reunion here in a place where hope happens and where comfort happens and where celebration happens and where joy happens and where everybody's welcome no matter what your story happens to be who you are or where you came from because by God's grace by the bridge that is the cross of Jesus we are connected to him we're connected to each other we are sisters and brothers in the great big family of God here on earth and someday in that new church where the praises will go on forever and evermore in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.